This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Another great episode for you today. Um, today we're kind of deviating from what we normally talk about, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about you know, private ground um, out of state leases, door knocking and big deer. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to a friend of mine, regular guy who's, uh, been doing some out of state leasing in a couple different States, um, for a few years, um, and has had some really good success and has got some good insight on, um, trying to get that done for the first couple times and, and, and kind of how to approach, um, some of this out of state stuff. And, um, he's killed a, a 200 inch deer down in Missouri on a work for access lease on a small 90 acre chunk. So, um, really cool to talk to somebody, you know, a, that, you know, that's killed such a big deer, but, um, you know, great guy. And to be able to have done it in, in such a way, um, I think that, uh, you guys might get some good insight into, into that and, it's kind of a funny story after he shoots the deer what he does. So I, I couldn't, I certainly couldn't do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so real quick, just want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Anthony Garnasia, uh, another Michigan guy. Um, and so he's entered into win our Patreon quarterly giveaway. Um, that's going to end on the 25th. Um, so that's that, uh, evolution XOP stand and those Vanguard binoculars and, uh, the other stuff that goes along with that. Uh, right now there's about 12 people. So he's got, uh, himself at, at very least, you know, um, about an 8% chance of winning. So, uh, good luck to him on that. And I did ship out your koozies, Anthony. Uh, all our Patreons, we ship out some koozies and stickers. Um, those are available on our website also. If you guys haven't seen those and you just want it, you're like, I don't want to be a Patreon. I don't want, uh, you know, that every month or anything like that. But I'd really like to support you guys. You can go ahead and, and do that. And, um, you know, if not, that's fine. 
um, do us a favor, tell a friend about the show. Um, that helps us to get out there and reach new people and um, get our message out there, you know, that uh, every deer with a archery equipment is a trophy. We're just regular guys having fun, trying to trying to share our story. Um, so, you know, just tell a friend if you like what we're doing. Um, give us a review on whichever platform it is you're um, listening to. Um, click those five stars or, um, you know, if you, if you really like what we're doing or really hate what we're doing, um, take the time to write out a review and say, this is what you guys can do better. This is what I like about the show. Um, either way, uh, follow along with us on Instagram and Facebook. Lots of stuff going on over there. And uh, we do really appreciate it. And we hope that you enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hey everybody, Adam and Frank here with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John couldn't be here tonight, his dad was uh, back in the hospital and uh, he was a little bit preoccupied, So, um, but the show must go on, you know, our thoughts are with John and his family and, uh, you know, it's Frank's brother-in-law, so we'll get the update here, uh, here pretty soon, but um, today we're going to shift gears a little bit, you know, so we we bang the, the public land warrior drum pretty hard but um you know when you have the opportunity to uh sit down and talk with one of your friends who shot a you know 200 inch deer um of his own accord you know free range deer you know basically didn't really pay any money to to do it um hunting out of state um i feel like you got to take that opportunity because there's a lot of information there and uh that you know the working class bow hunter guys they say you can't trip into a 150 um i proved that you can <laughs> get, get super lucky um but i would just about guarantee that you're not tripping into a 200 um and so we're sitting here right now at my kitchen table uh with a cumulative more antler than i've ever shot in my whole life so you can take all the bucks that i've ever killed and add them all together and we're sitting at one set of sheds in one side uh, from this deer that we've had, uh, you know, he's he's got history with. Um, and so the, my buddy's name here is Mike Stewart, and uh, he's he's come over here. He doesn't live too far away. So yep. how you doing, Mike? Good. Very good. How was that intro? Is that pretty? Yeah. Yep. That, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. You know, I've, I've tried all kinds of different opportunities whether it be public or, or private, I, I just look for an opportunity to get out somewhere and get started basically and see where it takes me. Yeah. So I think today, um, I want to start off, um, you know, obviously we just want to hear, you know, how you started hunting and, and things like that. But, um, you know, so you, you killed this deer in Missouri and, uh, I think a lot of guys, you know, they, always hear about guys that have leases and these guys that have leases, they're only, you know, those guys kill a big deer every year. And it's just so easy if I just had the money or if I mm -hmm. could just, you know, get a lease, if I could just pay, you know, if I could just pay, you know, or on the flip side of that, they say, well, if I had a lease, I could do that every year. I do it the hard way. And, you know, maybe, maybe we, we kind of stand on that fence. You know, Frank, I know he says, God damn it. If I, you know, put me on TV in one of those places, you know, bring those guys here and <laughs> do the same thing. Well, you know, it's, you, you hunt all your life, you know, and, and 
different situations, you know. Most of ours has been, like I say, public land hunting, you know, and high-pressure areas and stuff. So, you know, the, the racks aren't as big, you know, mm-hmm. but they still mean the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think when you saw oh, these antlers, too, you're... That's a tuna, man. That's, a, <laughs> that's just a... That's just a dandy, you know. That's unreal. Yeah. It, it says a lot, too, for, you know, Michigan. We're all from Michigan. So right. we know what we can shoot around here, what we see, um, whether it's public or private. Um, and I think it's just like Frank was saying, the high-pressure areas. And uh, you don't quite see as much of that out in the Midwest or Ohio, Indiana area. So I think there, there's probably a little more opportunity out there, but. So give us a little background on yourself and how you started hunting and then, you know, yeah. kind of work through it that way. So I started hunting, I, you know, you're supposed to start legally at 12, but I had one of those dads that would drag me out early or whatever. And <laughs> uh, you kind of do your thing. At, at first, I would just go with him. Even if I was six or seven, I'd climb up in the tree, he'd be bow hunting, and I'd just hang out with him and watch watch things unravel. And um, so... Once I was able to pull a bow back, you know, to about that 35-pound range where you can put a good sharp broadhead on and you can actually, you know, kill a deer with a good shot, um, I started then. So uh, we had, I was lucky enough, we had 120 private acres. Um, that was my dad's and my uncle's. Um, so it was family ground, and I started on that. Um even in Michigan, I, I was able to kind of get access to other private grounds um, that farmers I would meet up with. And they say, yeah, you can hunt my ground if you help me manage some of these does out here. Um, some, of the, some of the areas you could go out to and you'd see 15 does a night and you might see two or three bucks. So their main thing was shoot some does for me and yeah, you can hunt my ground. So I kind of got into that part of it in uh pearson michigan area so did that a while and and we would see good bucks out there and i was perfectly happy with hunting michigan and then i had some buddies that went down to illinois where they were leasing some ground and they tell me oh we've seen huge deer you know you gotta you gotta get a lease or somehow get down to illinois that's where all the big deer are so i kind of blew it off until I actually seen some of his videos that he was videoing out there and said, okay, well, maybe there's something to that. So there was four of us that went in on a lease down in Illinois the first year I ever hunted out of state. Um, saw a good deer, never shot anything. Um, it was obviously expensive. It was in Pike County, Illinois. So you're, you're probably not going to find a more expensive place to lease ground at. Um, so when uh, we talked about going to Ohio the following year after that, I said, yeah, you know, I'm game on trying that. So um, we ended up going to Ohio, which was, again, a lease. Um, but we also hunted public ground in the area. So while we were we were down there, we would try not to put a whole lot of pressure on our ground. Um, what we would do is we would, as a group, lease it, not too many people. So depending on how much ground was there, would determine how many guys were going in on it and it's not hey this 40 is mine and this 40 is that guys it was we kind of all had you know spots that were available to hunt and we would just kind of make an agreement the night before 
someone would say, yeah, I'm going to go here because of the wind or whatever. And so we'd kind of work off of that to strategically put people in places where they were good setups, but um, at the same time, you're not trying to get in on encroaching somebody else's ground. So that went okay for probably, I think it was three or four years. Um, and then we started talking about Missouri and I thought about it, but I hadn't really investigated it enough, but I kind of planned, you know, this one summer, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to head out there and start walking around, knocking on doors, whatever I got to do to see if I can find something out there. So unfortunately, as, as it goes with hunting and buddies, there, there was something that happened on the Ohio lease where we kind of split ties anyhow. So that kind of forced me into something else. So I said, okay, that's, that's a sign that says, all right, now it's Missouri, you know? So, um, I, first I kind of looked online, you know, you can go to multiple places and find leases or outfitters in the area. Um, but I kind of wanted to find something myself if I could. So my track was going to Craigslist and actually putting an ad in Craigslist saying, looking for lease or property to hunt. Um, not just saying, Hey, I'm looking for 150 acres under this amount for a lease. Just, um, you know, I put out there that I'm willing to work with the landowner if they want deer managed, you know, they want so many does off or whatever. I'm willing to work with them there. If they just want somebody to do some manual labor on something that they don't have time for and trade that for some hunting rights or something like that. I'm, I'm willing to do that. So just kind of put an ad like that out there and, one day I got a phone call and there was a guy that was, uh, had a piece out in Northeast Missouri. It was 90 acres, not a big piece. And majority of it was field CRP field. So it's not even got ag on it. It's, it's, if you were to look at it for the first time, you'd probably pass on it, you know, but he said, you know what, we can get out there basically free just by, he wanted us to clean up some trees in his yard on his farm. So if we did that, we could hunt it for the year. So me and my brother-in-law, um, and then a, a buddy I work with said, let's do it. Um, me and my brother-in-law went out there, cut up all the trees, got that stuff cleaned up. So it was done right away. And then we walked the ground and we kicked up a decent eight point then. Um, so we're like, well, there's decent deer out here. There's not a lot of ground here. There's good sign, but let's see what happens with it. It's really thick though. You said the, the yeah, CRP. Yep. Part of it. CRP was really thick. Um, the, the little bit of timber that was in there, there was pretty big areas that were uh cedar thicket. So the woods itself was pretty thick as well. So it was definitely an area to hold deer. Um, I would say a challenging area to set up for bow hunting because it's mostly open field. So before we get too much into like the setup on that property, cause that's a property where you killed this gigantic once yeah. in a lifetime yep. deer for m- many people. Right. Um, going through all of those leases, those, uh, whatever uh, we'll call it ups and downs with your, your hunting party and things like that. Um, advice for guys that are looking to go search out a lease albeit looking for 
what kind of ground, what kind of money to pay, and then who to bring in mm-hmm. and how many guys per acre or, or how how do you figure out who gets to hunt where and, and, yep. and go down at what peak times and et cetera. So if we say you target a piece of ground, you know this is a piece of ground I want to lease if you're just looking to pay for some ground to hunt, um, depending on, you know, to determine how many guys you want out there, you kind of, you know, how much of it is huntable. So if I got 500 acres, but I have 400 acres of field on it, and I only have room for really three or four good sets, you might not want any more than two guys on that. So a lot depends on how many good sets you can you can get on that ground depends on how many people you get in on it so we may have when we would look at it if we had say too many guys for that piece of ground um at the same time we would look and see is there any public ground in the area we can start hunting here when we're not hunting we're going to go knock on doors to see if we can get anything else along with it um but even if the guys that were hunting the private, um, if it was a small piece, we'd give that breaks and we'd all go out to public ground. So we kind of, depending on, I'd say, how many good hunting spots you can put on a piece of ground is going to tell you how many guys you even want on it. Um, now, as far as even picking a lease, um, it, there's a whole ton of options. You know, the, you can obviously go to the multiple websites that are out there and um, see if there's something that works out good with, if it's within your price range with your group of buddies or anything like that. Um, but to be honest, what I like to do is, uh, like I said before, I, I put a, something on Craigslist. It might not be Craigslist. It might be something somewhere else. Um, but you, if you can find places out there where, people have land and they could use a helping hand type of situation you have a good opportunity to like market yourself to help them out and if you you know if you work a deal out with them to hunt the ground that way that that's the best way um that small nine acre piece i hunted for six years and that's all we ever did on it so that worked out great obviously um and then there's um if you're out in those areas, one thing that's that I've used is, you know, you go out to breakfast. You go find them small town restaurants. There's always farmers in there eating their breakfast like they do every day. Um, if you can strike up conversation with those guys and, you know, kind of put them at ease that, yeah, I'm an outsider, but I'm not, you know, I'm someone you can talk to and be friendly with. Um, we struck up conversations that way that have led to um, not just leases that you can pay for, but also, you know, something that the farmer themselves had or or they can point in the direction because they know everybody in that area. So they can say, well, I know so-and-so has a chunk over here or, you know, this guy is always complaining about so many deer, you know, eating up all his corn and beans, so he wants to get rid of some. And, you know, that's a pretty good resource too. Yeah, I mean, when we talk to my brother about going out to South Dakota. They don't hunt really a whole lot of private, but they get a lot of access to take this and go over there, or, you know, and they met a farmer that's not a guide so much, but he's got a pole barn set up for guys. And I think maybe he does some guiding for, um, 
pheasants or something like that. But the same deal. He said, oh, it looks like your guys are having a, a hard time. Let me call my buddy and see if you can go hunt, you know, over by his place or whatever. And he said they woke up in the morning and there was a note taped to the door that said, take this road, turn here, <laughs> go there. <laughs> this is the guy's, the landowner's name, you know, etc. And it's like, yeah, I think once you gain that trust and they say that, hey, you know, these guys aren't ruining my crops. They're not riding four-wheelers through mm-hmm. all the stuff and tearing everything up, leaving trash everywhere, <clears throat> you know, then, yeah, this guy, you know, he'll vouch for you for his for his buddy or whatever. Yeah. Now, with your 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 tactics for talking to these people or knocking on doors or things like that, I think that, you know, for most people, that's the most intimidating portion mm-hmm. is you know you can i mean frank i wasn't party to it when you guys went down there to ohio and oh, yeah. we're knocking on doors but there's a lot of people that like you said see an outsider and say no you know everybody yep. just wants to yeah know, they yeah. see a plate from out of state and they're like yeah don't have anything here sorry well, yeah. a lot of them you know i think too you know some of them have a bad taste in their mouth you know because maybe they let somebody on their land before and they did exactly what you were talking about, you know, disrespect the property, disrespect the farmer, you know, and and uh, you go up there, you know, and absolutely not, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you turn around and leave, you know. Yeah, some people you're just not going to change no. your mind. No. Um, you know, there's a lot of scenarios where you can, you know, they might say, I don't have anything available, and you might just start striking up a conversation with them, and that may lead to, you know, all of a sudden you're there for four to five minutes and they get comfortable with you and they say, well, right. I might not have something here, but, right. you know, my my uh, brother has something or whatever. But along with that, you know, when you do get these leases and stuff, you, the, the big thing is respecting that property. And right. it It's one thing to trim small brush down and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you're actually cutting some decent trees and trimming something pretty heavy, I've always liked to talk to a landowner about that before we dig into something that deep. And, you know, just bringing that up, whether they care or not, they'll respect you a lot more for bringing that up to them. And that, that'll go a long ways. And then, you know, you get their respect if you're in that same area and, you know, you find another piece where they're, you know, kind of questioning it or feeling you out for it. You can also give them that landowner's name and say, if, you know, if you have any questions, I hunt so-and-so's ground over here, give them a call. They might, you know, that might be the thing that changes their mind and gets them feeling a little at ease and letting some stranger on their property. For sure. Well, I think that there's something <clears throat> to be said for A, you know, we talked about it before on here, but B, a decent human being, <laughs> you right. know, um, there's there's that. But the other part of that is it sounds like not burning any bridges. Um, because that, even if you have a falling out with the landowner or, you know, he lets other people on there when he's not supposed to or whatever, you know, just using that as a jumping off point, kind of like you said is, you know, we'll, we'll just take this little 90 acre piece and see if we can turn it into something bigger or something like that. But even if it went sour, not, you know taking it out on that piece of property just because you know you felt that you were wronged um because the same thing if it might be his cousin who's just allowed your property and then 
word gets out and yeah now you're all off of a sudden, hey um, i guess that isn't available and you're <laughs> right. gonna have to find something else so right so tips for for guys that are knocking on doors for the first time or yep. you know because you had said you know you mentioned somebody down there in the area that uh you know knocks on two doors and gets two no's yep. and says i can't get any ground and yeah so your your technique that's my typical brother-in-law that Short ends it and expects, you know, the world I didn't know if he was going to listen, so I just. <laughs> it doesn't bother me if he is or not. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so what we would do, like I said, if we find something, so we found that 90 acres, but we know that's not enough to really hunt three guys. So um, we would go state ground, but uh, we would go down well before season, so like uh, early summer late summer sometime in there uh just take a whole weekend get a plot book uh, use onyx maps whatever kind of look at the overlay of the ground and and maybe target certain areas that you want to go check out um and just start knocking on doors i mean don't expect to get a yeah sure you know the first door you knock on um the last time we did it we spent two days doing it and probably knocked on over 40 doors we got one potential lease that we finally did end up getting um and then we got a couple of maybes and everything else was nothing available or already, i already have hunters or you know my nephews hunted or i have family that hunt it so you got to be prepared for the no for sure and i'm completely naive to the subject i mean i've never gone door to door selling anything so how does that conversation go? I mean, so, you know, so at my house, if you walk up here and first of all, if you ring the doorbell, my dogs are going to go ballistic <laughs> and I'm already yeah. not in a right. good mood. Um, and, and so, you yep. know, I just think about, about that. So from your end at the door, yep. you know, so, you know, there's a, a couple ways to do it. Um, you know, first off, we just, like say sorry, sorry for bothering you. Um, we're just in the area. Um, one thing on our end, we're just looking to bow on. So that's kind of something that does help in that situation. Is you know you mentioned I, I'm in the area. I, I have some hunting ground over here, and we're just trying to look to see if we can gain access to any more ground. And we would ask, do you allow anybody to bow hunt your property? Um, not saying can I lease you your property for bow hunting right. or can I do work for you for bow hunting? Just kind of leaving it open. Do you allow anybody to, to bow hunt your, your property? And, um, it's kind of open for, you know, maybe more questions, you know? And, uh, so kind of start it with that for, for the most part and see where it goes. Um, not really trying to use it too pointed of questions, but not just saying, Hey, I'm in the area. Can I hunt your property? <laughs> you know, um, you gotta, like you said, realize you're coming up to some stranger's door that's never met you before, and right. they're wondering why you're standing on their porch. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just you ever, trying to go into it easily. Do and you ever tell them where you're from? <laughs> save that later in the conversation. Yeah, I'm gonna say you don't, you don't want to bust it out right away, huh? Hey, well, I'm from Michigan. You know, how's it going? Well, well, the thing that we don't realize is that they can pick out a mis- Michigan accent, oh, like yeah. no, like nobody's business. Right. So they already know. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, that, that usually, and it's funny that you say that, Frank, because there's been a number of times where we start conversations and, and 
two or three of them besides. So you guys from Michigan then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how'd you know? Hey, how'd oh, you I get? could tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because like I say, for I don't know the the frustrated public land hunter, the guy that hears that you know. It, Pike County, Illinois, if you go down there, you're going to kill a booner every year, and it's going to mm-hmm. be so easy. For the guys like Frank that say, put me on any set of ground with that has that deer, and yeah. I'm going to kill him. You know, um, there's a lot of people that have a lot of those same questions and have that same sort of mentality, but maybe they don't know where to start. Maybe they have that, um, maybe have the means and the time and all that stuff, and they want to branch out, um, and rather than you know, or even they just want a jumping off point. Kind of like you said, there's, you know, we're, we're going to go to Missouri, you know, Frank's already been down there checking it out and things like that, but it'd be nice to have a jumping off point. So if you go down there, like my buddy Mark is down there right now, had the spot that they scouted and he goes in there for opening day and there's already a guy sitting right where he wants Mm -hmm. to be. You've got a backup plan or someplace to to fall back on. Um, Yeah. I would, you know, going down there, I would, definitely plan on a number of pieces tar- you know target an area and say within that area or or you know i'm seeing these big chunks of public ground in this area so i want to you know start here or there and like you said that way if one doesn't work out you can go to another one and at the same time what we would do is we'd say okay i'm hunting in the morning then i'm gonna go knock on doors in the area um Sometimes it ain't the best idea to knock on doors right in that area because they get it all the time with people that are on public ground. So you may want to drive out a ways, you know, 45 minutes from there or something and and knock on doors further away from those areas because that is probably what a majority of hunters would do, I guess, is say, well, I'm going to, what the heck, there's some private ground right here near the state ground. Let's go see if anyone will let us hunt. So. I think they kind of get saturated with that. If, mm-hmm. if someone is going to knock on the door, it's going to be in that area. Now, something, something we did, too, is, is when we were down there, was went to the, the DNR headquarters and, and talked to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, they're very, very informative as far as, you know, they're they're familiar with all these pieces, you know, and there's maps there and everything, you know, and they, they were very, very uh good to us you know as far as the information that they gave us and yeah you might not want to go there you know too many guys could be but you know mm-hmm. you know you're going to run into people i mean where, wherever you go down there on public ground you know but but some areas i would i would think you know kind of maybe overlooked stuff you know and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be down there for 10 days so mm-hmm. you know i think that's a, a great starting point with a plan of going down on public ground is definitely well, Talk the, to the DNR. The advantage we have is is Ernie's gone, and I'm going to drop him off at one corner in Missouri <laughs> and give him about four days, and I'm going to pick him up on the other side, and he'll have it all scouted for me. See? So, I mean, that's the advantage of uh-huh. learning. Well, I mean, the 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 last episode that we had with uh, with Dan Infault there, he said, "Scout, scout, scout, hunt." So. You know, three times the amount of scout uh, uh, scouting to hunting, uh, and even in season, and picking your spots and biding your time. So, you know, I I thought about that a lot because there's Ernie is the guy that wants to see 
what's over that next ridge. And, you know, sometimes that's a detriment because, you know, even in like Dan said, and you know, it's, it stands to reason that when you get on the hot sign, you stop right there. You don't go any further and you need to be able to shoot to the last spot that you, that you stood. But on that same note, that's where Ernie's going, well, well, maybe it's hotter over there. Well, maybe it's, you know. <laughs> well, he, you know, we, we we did some scouting in southern Illinois down there by the, the Ohio River there. Biggest buck sign I've ever seen in my life. Ever seen in my life. And the most, right? We never hunted it. <laughs> we never hunted it. And I'm going, you know, I think back on it, I'm thinking, man, what, what were we thinking? What were we doing, dude? You yeah. know? We should have been hunting this stuff, yep. you know. It was it was smoking, you know. And then another spot down on this one creek, I mean, there was you know, five six inch trees rubbed, you know. It was it was tracks, you know. We were jumping deer, you know. The one place we went in, where the big sign was, we were walking in there actually, and, and looked, and I said, "All right, sit down. Here, here comes a buck. Buck this eight point comes right at us. Walks right up to us almost, you know. And I mean." We never hunted it. Yep. I'm going, man, you got to make, I, you know, I've gotten him now to the point where it's like, all right, we're going to scout. But when I say we're going to hunt, if you decide you're going to scout, you're going to scout somewhere else and I'm going to hunt here. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, we have an understanding now. Yeah. So. I, I would have the same thing. Um, one of the guys I used to hunt with, he would, we would get permission to hunt a piece of ground and go out the first night on this piece of ground and he'd be all the way to the back of it so he'd run through the whole thing our first time on the ground and you know what results from that most of the time is oh, yeah. nobody sees anything he might see something walking across on the neighbor's side way back on the end you know the back of the property so um that, that's a tough decision to make too because it is new property and so you know like the way ernie's thinking i sometimes wonder that too is yeah, this is great, but just am I thirty yards from the best <laughs> spot out here? You know, but but I think that a, that's that's what they use as like that stage hunting, right? So you get to that sign, you get up a tree, mm-hmm. right? And then if it, if everything's going on just further, it doesn't happen. Now you haven't, you know, it's hard to hunt your way back. Yeah, it's it's easier yeah. to hunt your way yeah, in. You got to slowly work your way in. Yeah. If if you got sign and you have a good setup for wind and you have right. a good spot for a, a tree don't, to don't get screw up, it up and first you know, start then there try to hunt it, you <laughs> yeah. know yeah That's, there's you know there's, i find i find too that you know especially on public ground what i found over the years is is when i go into a spot and maybe it's a new spot that i haven't ever been in but i'll be i'll be walking in there and all of a sudden i'll start finding that sign and i don't care where it is i'm gonna hunt it you know, and I've killed more deer that way, more bucks, you know, by just that first set, that first, you know, you're in there. Boom. You know, you're not messing things up, you know, any farther back. Yep. So. So so with that, like, thought process, and I think that's got to be a balance um, on private ground that, I mean, theoretically – you aren't going in there and traipsing around every single day. Now, maybe down there when you're hunting is that balance of when to hunt it, how much to hunt it. 
Um, but before we get into like the real hunting portion of it, uh, because I want to kind of break down that and then move that into like, how did you take this 90 and kill this monster deer? Um, what kind of time commitment are you allotting for these leases that you've had? So it's, I, it's not just like say Frank and I would do or whatever, like in the summer we'll go and do some scouting because, you know, now you're on some level going to manage this ground if the person you're leasing it from allows it, or maybe they've already got ag on there or they've got something. So um, now what is your time commitment on these things and what can someone expect realistically to have results? Like maybe when you were in Ohio, we only did this amount and now in Missouri we do this amount and Illinois was a whole nother thing or, you know, or, you're saying what? How like, let? How late are we letting these deer go before? No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying time commitment on managing your property or the amount of time you're spending there ahead of time, getting Prior everything running. set up. Yep. So, I mean, for me, because you know, it's everybody has, unless you're independently wealthy or whatever, you have a job, family, mm-hmm. you try and hunt around home. Um, yep. You know, you've got. You've got a lot of things going. Yeah, Frank's over there rolling his eyes because he's got no job. Yeah. He's got he's independently yeah. wealthy. He's got all the time Sounds in the world. Like we need to contract Frank to do some work for us, right? I, but, if I'm willing to do that, you know. Yeah. But, so but, yeah, it's what we'd had um, in Ohio. We literally Ohio. We would do nothing beforehand because at that time uh, we didn't have much opportunity to get down there before season to prep anything so we would we didn't even have you know any food plots in down there so you hunted it kind of like public yeah it was uh it was uh central eastern ohio big rolling hills you know the foothills um of the appalachians down there and so it was a completely different style of hunting for michigan the basically the the biggest pointer i guess that i got out of it was looking at aerial maps with the terrain and figuring out where are two or three of these fingers funneling down to, and I would target that spot. So even hunting new ground down there, if we would get permission to hunt something, we would do that. And, you know, you can put that point on your phone and you can hunt it for the first time in the morning. Uh, you know, in the dark, you can walk to it using your GPS. So um, we would, you know, do stuff like that, but a lot of hunting out of climbers down there. So we didn't have a lot of time and the three, I think it was three years we hunted Ohio was a lot of it was out of climbers, even though we hunted the same property for three years down there. Um, just cause we didn't have that time to, you know, go hang stands. And so we fared this, we didn't have time to do a lot of prep. So we might as well just take our climber. We know the area we want, want to be in. We'll, that way and then for the three guys what was the success rate in ohio as um, far as seeing deer that maybe you would have killed or, or whatever or deer you passed on or actual harvest we would we would do like a 130 men um i wouldn't say we would necessarily go four and a half probably three and a half year old down there um and every time i i guess everyone had an opportunity um whether they got the deer missed it or not um out of the three of us you'd have one to two opportunities in a probably six or seven day you know hunt 
which we typically would target, you know, beginning of November. Mm-hmm. So down in that area, there's plenty of good deer. You would see a lot of deer roaming in that area that were, you know, the high teens, almost 130 range. And then within a week span, you would see, you know, five or six that are, 130 to 150 and maybe you know have two of them within shooting range so we we had pretty good opportunity um, when we were doing that um missouri we pretty much we went to 130 men and you know four and a half year old and the buck to doe ratio seemed a little better in missouri um so when you were seeing deer you typically you typically, you know, see bucks, so you're always having uh, bucks within range, and I don't think we let as many arrows fly. Maybe that's just maturity. You know, maybe when we were hunting Ohio, we were younger, and maybe we'd take more questionable shot opportunities than we would in Missouri. So maybe that's the only reason there were less arrows flung when we were in Missouri, but. Um, I'd say, you know, putting in your time and doing it right, you'll get that opportunity. It's just, you know, can can all the stars align and can you make it happen? And so, Missouri, what is your, on, on say, that lease that you were working for the farmer and, you know, it wasn't charging you anything other than your time and, and helping out, uh, what were you able to do with the property as far as uh, food plots or anything like that? And then how much actual time and effort and everything did you spend on the property um so that one we would um go down beginning of the year or not beginning but um you know beginning of the summer and part of it was just keeping up with the the ground so there was a tractor out there with a brush hog that that we were lucky about because normally you don't have that on something so we're kind of fortunate there um and we would just you know, our part was maintaining the property. If if the tractor, if the starter went on the tractor, we'd take care of that and get it back up and running. And, you know, we'd, we'd brush hog the yard. And then, you know, it was all overgrown CRP. And of the 90 acres, probably 65 of it was CRP. So um, we would brush hog lanes through that CRP that would help us gain access to our stands, you know, couple different options depending on wind direction so that way we could try to get in and not spook too many deer going in and out so we yeah. would get a fair amount not not a ton but i would say we'd we'd be down there maybe twice throughout the year which is you know two days on the weekend before hunting season would begin we got a question uh, when you did that the brush hog you know for your trails did you notice that did the deer tend to use that then or? oh yeah yeah yep. yeah so we would we would um cut our trails in certain ways so that you wouldn't just step out on them and you could see 200 yards down that trail right. because when you're walking in you don't want them to see you either if somehow for some reason they're walking you know in that same lane so you'd kind of curve them that'd be one thing we we'd consider when we were putting those in is kind of curve them so you could as you're slowly walking through you're keeping an eye ahead of you to make sure you're not bumping deer out of there and you know if there is one he's not gonna spot you 200 yards away you know hopefully it's you know 
closer and maybe you have an opportunity to set up on them on the ground. And so I just want to <laughs> make this known. I mean, I'm sure that there's people that are listening that are like, that know 100% like what CRP is. And then there's people that are just like, oh yeah, I've heard it's just like grass, like real tall grass or something <laughs> like that. So when we were in Ohio, I saw these CRP fields and like uh, the stuff that I went through was like all those burrs and all the crap that sticks to you. Mm-hmm. And it's like the weeds that get dead and they get kind of stiff. And if, when you walk through them, the stuff flakes off of them and goes to dust. Yep. But the, that is like a complete understatement for 99% of what I've seen hunting out of state and like, in CRP that's just allowed to grow into everything because there was a spot where I went down this old coal road or whatever, and I was just going to cut through the CRP down to the thing. Well, and it looks flat. I mean, it was kind of like when I was in Idaho and I was looking. It looks like it's waist high, don't it? Well, it didn't even look waist high. (laughs) I thought I was just going to walk through that and it was over my head. I couldn't see. There was no sort of navigation and it was all that crap that was just sticking to me and like I came out of there looking like a fuzzy caterpillar and I was like, what the fuck? You had some good camo on it. I mean, I, I guarantee you in my set of bibs, there's still... CRP stick tights that are from Ohio mm-hmm. five years ago. Um, so when you say it's like, you know, 90 acres and 60 of it is CRP, yeah. it is eight foot tall weeds. That's just the nastiest stuff. And so if a deer's in there, you're not, I mean, if they want to be in there and not be seen, yeah, yeah, there's no. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. There's many times that they just stay bedded and they can hear you walking through. And as long as you're not going off of that groomed trail and they start tromping through the, the untrimmed stuff, they probably just lay there and let you go on by. But when Frank asked if they were using it, I'm like, hell yeah, they're using it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not any fun yep. for anybody to walk through that so level. <laughs> if, we had, um, if we had stands on the edge of the CRP, we'd actually make them trails come out where it was a good shooting spot too so not just your access but knowing like frank said if they're using it we want them to come into a spot that's advantageous to us to get a shot on them yeah just like kind of when we talked to nick percy from killer food plots when he was setting up his screening lanes and stuff like that where they have to come out and look around directing them yep yep and so with that on that 90 acre piece um so let's talk about this deer here. Yep. So first of all, let's just get what are the actual specs of this deer and how long did you guys know about them and etc. Um the the first year I hunted out there, um I got a picture of a, a big deer and it was, you know, one of those one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning uh pictures and maybe I got two of them and that was it. So I seen it. It wasn't real clear picture, but I could tell this deer was pretty impressive then. And I just figured, yeah, it's one of those nocturnal giants that you'll never see, you know. So didn't think much of it. Um, that first year, I ended up uh, going down, and I shot a hundred thirty-five inch ten point. So I, I was happy with that myself for my first year out there in Missouri on this new ground. And at that. At that point, like, what was your biggest buck, or what was was the caliber of deer that you were hunting? You know, yeah. So I 
before that, my biggest buck was a 138-inch eight-point that I shot in Ohio. So, And um, what was the biggest deer you'd killed in Michigan prior to going out of state? Uh, maybe 120-inch eight-point. So, okay. So obviously, out of state, I was happy with what I was yeah, seeing. Yeah, I'm just and, I'm just trying to paint the picture and talk yep. about the progression because it's, you know, the we've got a shed here which is one of the early sheds from this deer that Mike killed, and it looks a lot like one of the bucks that Frank and I had seen this year already. Um, and I said, man, give that deer another three years or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? You know, on that piece of property, it's not going to happen. But it also looks like. The first deer that I saw in Ohio was this, it, this deer is a little bit wider, but it was a real boxy, tall 10 point. And, uh, at that point, you know, my first out of state hunt, my first out of state sit, I said, okay, I get why we're, we're coming down here. Mm-hmm. So I just, I wanted to, you know, it'd be one thing if you were in Jackson County here or, or Hillsdale or whatever, and you're shooting, you know, 170s and, you know, you're right. glassing all these bucks up and then you go down there and you're like, well, I was happy with a 135, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, not not the case um, by no means, so. Um, and that 135 I shot and, you know, the neighbor, we have a neighbor down there that's well known in there and he just basically likes to try to harass the guys that are out of towners in a fun way, so, you know, he was giving me crap like why'd you shoot that buck and whatever and i just say i'm happy with him so my first year down here it is what it is um and so i had that deer hanging out in the front lawn and uh, a couple guys down the road stopped by um they're from the st louis area and so i got to know them a little bit and he showed me pictures more pictures of that deer i had pictures of the the big deer and he had a lot of them so you know i was like well that deer's probably living on his farm and they you know they have estimates on a score and this and that and like wow you know that's a giant i said i i got a couple pictures on you know at 90 right across the street from you i said but he he's only traveling through there at midnight so i'll probably never you know have a shot at him so going into the second year down there um same thing we went down you know put some food plots in threw cameras out um we were all set to go um i went down early season and basically what i do i'd go down open and weekend and more so making sure stands are good you know do i trim any more stuff on it can check the camera see what's on there see if they need to be you know, SD cards need to be changed or if we got to put any batteries or anything. And main goal at that point is not necessarily planning on shooting a deer that weekend, but just making sure everything's ready for November when, you know, when the deer activity is jumping up and it's most people's prime opportunity to shoot a good deer. So fast forward going down um on november in november so we got down there i think it was november 7th and i'm a pretty hardcore where not much weather is going to bother me to go out hunting but in 2014 there was just a crazy storm going through there and uh it was so windy that morning i said i'm not even going out there's no sense in it and uh some of my buddies went out and 
they came back later because they said that their tree was swaying so much there would be no chance to shoot one anyway. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm glad I didn't waste my time. So uh, went out that night, seen a couple decent bucks on food plots, and um, next morning woke up when still howling. I'm like, all right, I, I got to get out anyway. So uh, my buddy Dennis and I made the decision that we're going to pick stands that we have that are down in the timber as far as they can be so hopefully that blocks some of the wind off us so got up in those stands and um we're you know sitting texting back and forth like you do with your buddies trying to kill some time and you know i he's seen some bucks seen a a coyote or something and i you know seen some little ones and i had this doe that was bedded I, I ranged her so she was like 32 yards from me and she'd been bent there for quite a while and so I said to my buddy Dennis I ain't seen much but you know this doe right here is going to bring a big buck into me so I'm just letting her lay and, and so he would uh all of a sudden Dennis actually has this deer come by him but um I, I think I think he said there was some sunlight shining on him and when he was just kind of moving to you know check the area out around him he thinks that deer caught that movement from him and took off well we're in the same chunk of timber and he's like just quit text me and says big buck might be your way so big buck my way i'm thinking all right so i'm you know just kind of hanging out thinking um we had some decent tens maybe it's one of those so i'm just sitting there watching everything the doe was still up there bedded away and um all of a sudden i hear a stick break behind me i turn around and look back i'm like oh my gosh how did he just say big buck you know that's giant buck (laughs) (laughs) that's quite the understatement so uh but by the time i heard him like you said the wind was howling so i didn't you couldn't get a real good heads up just all of a sudden boom he's already in my shooting lane behind me so i grabbed my bow and put my release on as quick as I can and draw on him. I just, he can't, I can't get him to stop at any point. I'm, you know, I grunted at him, just trying to get his attention. He's either ignoring it or the wind, you know, he just can't even hear it because of the the wind. So I'm watching this, you know, giant deer then walk up this ridge and he stops at the top of the ridge and I'm thinking, oh, I guess I'm, going back to the cabin this morning telling the guys a normal big buck story you know i saw him and he's this big he's probably 200 inches and (laughs) you know that that story that you hear so often and and i'm just looking at him like gosh what can i do you know and so just figure i got nothing to lose and i i just wheezed as loud as i could you know just using my hand and mouth two times and um you know he turned his head i'm like well all right let's see what happens and he ends up walking that ridge and he's heading right for that doe so when i see that i'm like oh my gosh he's coming back my way you know then it's then it's time to get nervous so (laughs) so i flash my release back on and i know already that doe's at 32 yards i know what pin i need to use and he does goes right up to the doe bumps her up and uh I, I don't think she was hot because I had another younger buck do that earlier and she laid back down and he wandered off. So he's just kind of standing there, but then he gets, he's right at that 32 yard mark, but he's facing me. And, you know, I've 
her guys taking shots in the throat and this and that. And I'm like, <laughs> is that a shot? I is can. that a shot at me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've probably done that too. So, <laughs> but in this particular scenario, all that's going in my mind is, yeah, I had the deer of a lifetime and I took one of those shots and I didn't get him, you know? Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's the only thing going in my mind at that point. So I'm drawing on him at that time, and he's got his head on. He picks his head up, and my pin's right on his white spot. <laughs> my finger's on the trigger thinking, do I or don't I? And I waited, and uh, it seemed like an eternity, but it was probably 20, 30 seconds. He took a few more steps towards me and then finally stepped off to the side and gave me a somewhat quarter and two, almost broadside shot, and I took it. And, yeah, it was <laughs> and after that, it's like, you're wondering is did I just you know did that really just happen? Did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> and, you wonder uh, about it. But you know, and it's not. I didn't see the deer drop. He went over the ridge and went down, and um, I didn't want to take any chances, so I texted Dennis nervously, and I couldn't even spell out my text. And, you know, <laughs> shot the pig or something like that, <laughs> and he's like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, and so he's like. He just said, I'm away. So I just stayed in my stand because I was just like shaking and, you know, couldn't believe what just happened. So I'm like, I just better just sit here in my stand for a few minutes and calm down. So I sat there until he got there. And, you know, I, I didn't want to screw anything up. So I told Dennis, go here. That's where he was standing. If there's blood there, great. If not, let's mark it with an arrow. Let's get out of here, you know. So we... We had to go get groceries and stuff still, so we went uptown for oh an God. hour and a half. Oh, God. And that whole time, the thing going <laughs> through your head is, was it a good shot? Did I screw up? Or So it was a very nerve-wracking hour and a half. And um, But then when we finally went back and started tracking him, we, he went, you know, maybe 100 yards, um, if that, and ended up dying down in a little drainage ditch, so. It was just, yeah, unbelievable, you know, moment that, you know, probably never experienced again in my life. I, I can't thank the Lord enough for giving me this chance, but uh, it was, yeah, it's hard to believe second year down there for something like that to happen. Yeah, I mean, so that's just wild. Like, first of all, like, going to the grocery store takes, like, I mean, what is, do you even remember what you bought? Because I'd have been, you, you would like, everything would have been, yeah. like, it, your list would have gone out the window. I would have yeah. been, like, I don't know, you know, we need to go there. And, I think the other guys took care of all that. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, you know, for us being mostly public land, like, whatever, you'd be, like, somebody's going to steal that deer. I mean, even on private land, if you had run across the road or something like that, I mean, mm-hmm. it would have been nothing for somebody to just Scoop them up. Yeah, hard pressed for me to leave there. I'll tell it you. Was, that, it was a you hard know. decision to make for sure, but um, you know, given the circumstances, I didn't want to ever screw it up and then later have right. that story. I couldn't wait, and then I went and kicked him up, and he ran over on the neighbors. We never found any more blood, and I never found him. So I, I outweighed the options. And <laughs> oh yeah, well, I mean, looking at these the the sheds he got here, and, and we'll have to go through that a little bit before we get in deer. Um, like I'll, I'll bring you downstairs and show you the buck that I killed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that feeling oh so well because I made a marginal shot, we'll call it. <laughs> um, and the that whole thing, I mean, like 
I know exactly what you're talking about when you can't even text. Yeah, I didn't have any service. So I didn't, but I, I mean, I was just like my head and my knees, like I shot him in the face. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't like, and, and then it's just like, what do I do now? Like, what do you, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Do you get, you know, get down back out, wait, you know, we said we were going to hunt till this, you know, we've got no cell service. Like, so there's no way to contact yeah. anybody. So I'm just sitting there like freaking out. <laughs> and so like with a deer like this, it's like, what? Yeah, I went to the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Get out of here. I, I knew I could sit up at the camper because then I would have been back out there in a half hour. <laughs> the only grocery store I would have went to the tavern, man. <laughs> you know, you to calm down. We did buy bit. some stuff yeah. somewhere to that that would go to the tavern. <laughs> Which we did, uh, yeah. And so you, you, you get up to this deer and, um, you know, so at this point you've killed some good yeah. deer, you know, you know, really, really yep, decent I mean, deer and be happy with, but he, this one, he, I mean, well, that's just, let's, let's not downplay that. We talked about it earlier. I was listening to a podcast and somebody said, until you hold a Pope and young buck in your hands, like you probably don't really know how big that is, you know? Yep. And the buck that I killed this year is a, a perfect example. He's in, you know, just over a hundred inches, 105, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's humongous body, yeah. just great deer until, you know, you put the tape on him. You're like, that's what a hundred inches is like right. add 20. I mean, and I, I mean that buck that I killed in Ohio, I don't, I don't discount it, but it's, it's like uh it's like one of those things where like you're saying, like I'll probably never have that opportunity again or whatever, especially, you know, public land and that whole thing is just a perfect storm. Um, but it's, it's just gigantic so so when you get up to this deer that's you know mm-hmm. you know at this point you you probably have estimates on scores and stuff like that i mean so so when when i shoot a buck and i'm like oh man it's got to be pope and young or whatever it's got to be it's 100 inches or, mm-hmm. or whatever you know what was this was this like a 300 inch deer was this the world well, record like when you got I, up to it i, I <laughs> Try to, I try not to over speak it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd more like try to downplay it if I can, but uh, so maybe I get a more shocking surprise out of guys. But you know, when we were in the truck going to town, I told the guys, I'm like, this deer is big. I said, this, I mean, it could be a 200 inch deer. And they're thinking, okay, you know, I don't know if they believe me or not, but <laughs> I what? said it could be a 200 inch deer. And yeah, I, I wasn't the first one to come across it because, um, I did hit it a little high. I I wasn't taking any chances. I was staying away from the shoulder. I purposely went for a long shot. Um, so right away there wasn't a lot of blood. Um, so I was I was doing the part where I was sticking to the blood and making sure I continued to follow the blood trail, which was spotty from that start. And, you know, I let my three buddies kind of go ahead and see if they could, you know, find a spot where he opened up. Well, they... Two of my buddies found them. One of them jumped down the ditch real quick and grabbed it. And they said it. they were thinking, holy shit, you know. And um, he jumped back up and then they just whistled. And they're like, hey, blood over here. So I'm like, sweet, you know, a lot of it. Oh, yeah. So they're just, they're just standing <laughs> there. gravity full. They're just standing there on the side of that ditch. And I'm walking up. I'm thinking, I hope those bastards are screwing with me in this lane right there. And, and uh, my buddy Clint had a smile from you know, ear to ear. So I'm like, all right, you know, where's it at? And he points down there and there he's laying. I'm like, Oh my God. You know, it was, it was unbelievable. 
Well, I told Ernie that I shot a spike when I shot that one this year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then he, well, then he, he, tr- we tried to tell Frank, but Frank, but Ernie, Ernie said me, he says, I wonder how much that deer weighs. And Frank's like, there ain't no freaking spike that you're worried about how much it weighs. How much it weighs, you know. Come on, dude. <laughs> then he got his jacket over the over the horns when we go back out there. I says, where's your, where's your coat? Well, we want to leave it for the coyotes, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Get out there and his head's covered up, you know. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. So then, you, I mean, you get this deer. And what's yeah. the, now what's the process? Because, you know, I've, you know, it, there's lots of guys out there that unless they shoot a booner, they don't get it scored or mm. you don't enter it into the record books. And so very few so, people even can fathom that process, you know, and lots of people say, well, yeah, if I ever shot with like that, I'd totally do it. And it's like yeah. a hundred inch buck in Michigan is commemorative bucks in Michigan. And it's like, how many of those get shot every year and they just get put they, on no them? One, yeah. yeah, no one does anything with them. And yeah. Yeah, so this one we um, we green scored it ourselves. Um, we came up with 205 and 6 eights. Um, so then when I got back home in Michigan, I had to contact a, um, a guy that scored for Boone and Crockett, uh, which we have right here in Grand Rapids. We got a couple of them. Uh, but you have to wait for that drying period before he'll score it so um after the drying period i brought it over to him and he grossed it at 205 and three eighths so we're you know right there and um i think it was with deductions because they always have to do deductions to go in the books it was 197 and four eighths so (laughs) i was just you know in awe about it you know there, there's a guy I worked with that um, he hunted in Illinois a lot, and we we're you know real close. We'd always talk hunting when we see each other at work. And before I went out there um, that year, I said, "Yeah, you know, I haven't even shot a good buck over 140. I'd love to. I'll be happy to break that point, you know, this year." <laughs> and I sent that picture to him. He's like, "Oh, I just wanted 140, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just 160 or 60 or more over, you know, I mean, whatever." So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a fun day and fun night sending a picture of that deer out. My phone was, you know, going crazy, and um, we probably celebrated a little too long that night at the tavern, but. No, there's <laughs> well, no, no such thing. So I... Okay, so Adams was a 150 inch, okay. How many beers did that one generate? 128. <laughs> <laughs> between the six of us yeah right? six of us <laughs> you guys did all right then yeah. <laughs> well we so we we like yeah we had some funny stories you know obviously my buddies are still you know i shot this great buck but i got three other buddies that are down there to hunt still and so they they take off early and it's about well three thirty four o'clock in the morning and it's finally time for for me to call it good and some other guys from down there that I was hanging out with were, were heading back too. And they're like, oh, we'll drop you down off that cabin or the camper. And so they pull up in the yard and, yeah, my buddy was like, yeah, we knew when you got back because there were headlights on the camper and somebody walked out and said, holy shit, that's a big son of a bitch. And it's <laughs> like, you guys sat out there so damn loud, woke us all up. And <laughs> I said, yeah, 
that was a late night of celebrating. So, so okay, all said and done. Here, here, you know, you got him. Here's his sheds and everything too. Yep. What, what are your expectations now? I mean, as far as you know, I'm it, still happy with uh, you know, one forties, four and a half year old. Um, I the last two years, I have I haven't even shot a deer out in Missouri, but um, I actually shot one. I, I tried to do a lot of self-videoing, and I had an opportunity where I had a buck coming into a decoy, and, you know, it was just an awesome hunting situation, and mm-hmm. I figured he's not huge. He's a 130s buck, but given the scenario, I'm recording it. I'm going to shoot this buck, so I, you know, I shot him, and he was like 133. Um, I've shot a 140, 143 the year after I shot this one that was 205, so... Mm-hmm. I'm not by no means going to be only waiting for 200 inch deer now or anything like that. I think, I don't think my standards have changed anymore. I mean, I'm still just as excited to shoot a 140 inch deer. But. Well, let's talk about that like a little bit, because I mean, you, you really do um, have to understand and don't take this the wrong way when you're saying like, Oh, you know, four and a half year old deer and, um, uh, that there's uh things um you know uh that that's there's guys that won't see that in their lifetime you know hunting mm-hmm. public land or stuff like that so it's a it's a hard part to think so uh this year you killed the deer in Michigan is first deer that you killed in Michigan for like quite some time and how big or small yeah. or whatever was that deer um yeah, so you that know, just just to kind of put things in perspective. Yep. Um, it was a, a eight point. Should have been an eight point. Um, he had one of his main beams busted off a little bit, but um, I think I scored him at like 118. Yeah. So so it's not it's not apples and apples for our listeners right. who are saying like, you know, this guy here, you know, they they said, oh, you know, it's my buddy. He's a regular guy, and this and that, and now he's killing. You know, he killed a 200-inch deer, and his expectations are like this. Like, fuck this guy. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) It's all, I mean, it's personal preference. I won't knock anybody if they shoot a smaller deer. It's it's all about hunting and having that excitement. So some people are excited to shoot a 100-inch deer. Um, Doesn't bother me none if they want to. Great. (laughs) Count me in that group. Well, that's the thing. You know, I'm going to be 67, you know, in October. And I'll tell you what, I get just as much, right? Just as much gas out of out of a spike sometimes as I do mm-hmm. out of any the biggest one I've ever shot. You know, yep. I mean, it's just I I love to hunt deer, you know, and I like to eat deer, right? You know, so that's why you know it, it all falls into place for me. You know, I mean, yeah, it's I it, I think it's just personal preference. And yeah, I won't knock anybody for doing it the same as me or doing it different for me well, as long as they're getting that excitement out of it. Oh, 100%. If they're just shooting a 80 inch deer and just yeah, you know whatever. And, and know, I, but I think sad, it goes but. back to um, experience, opportunity, and availability, right? So if a 200 inch deer walks by me, or Okay, so let's put it in this. A 150-inch deer comes up by you, and he's, you know, whatever age class, 
you probably aren't going to be like, well, I killed this 200-inch deer. I killed this booner, so I'm not going <laughs> to <Right. laughs> shoot Wrong. him. But, okay, so I think that goes into a good conversation. Basically, you're going to everybody's going to try and target the largest deer that they have in the area, and they're going to shoot a, a respectable deer for their area or their skill level. So if you've never killed a buck and you're saying, well, I'm only waiting for Pope and Young or Booner or something like that, you know, you're going to have a lot of disappointing sits (laughs) unless you put in a lot of time and effort and all of that. The other side of that is, um, you know, that that expectation to say, you know, you're you're not saying, okay, well, I have to shoot a bigger buck now because you'd be traveling all over the damn country Mm -hmm. or spending a lot more money or, you know doing all this stuff and i think that that's one thing that can't be discounted on this whole thing is that this was by all accounts a property that you said most people would pass on Mm -hmm. and then the other side of that is you know realistically outside of your time and effort you didn't pay a dime right to hunt here yeah it was just sweat equity so Mm -hmm. so as far as hunting properties or you know paying money or or doing all this stuff you know you have uh, built a different hunting portfolio than myself or you know frank um you know you and frank might have killed the same amount of inches of deer but he's got 40 years of hunting right (laughs) you shot yours all in one time (laughs) (laughs) i I mean I, i think it's just um you know what are your goals if you're happy shooting a hundred and thirty inch deer and you can do that every year, then you're probably gonna stick with what you're doing and you'll be happy with it. If if you want to shoot bigger deer and you're not doing it how you're set up now, then you probably just need to you know is it is it how you're hunting or do you have to look for a different area to hunt? Um, you know, I guess it's just what what are your goals? You know, like myself. When I was growing up, I thought the spot I hunted in Michigan was great. There was good bucks there. And then, you know, you start seeing some other stuff. And when my buddies started going out of state, and I said, hey, you know, those are great deer. I want to get in on that. And, you know, that's what drove me out. And so we start, you know, different areas. And you might spend a year at a spot where it's not what you wanted and say, okay, well, lesson learned. I'm going to move on. Don't just say, well, it didn't work out, but I'm going to continue right. to hunt there and continue to not see the deer that i want to shoot so you know you're going to have those times where you you consider you wasted some time there i guess but if you want to you know chase a goal i guess and shoot a more quality deer you know you're just going to have to keep going through the motions until you get that scenario set up where it happens so with on that note um that deer that you killed in michigan you hadn't killed one in some time um, what, how did, what was going through your mind and that thought process, um, when you, when you were hunting that deer, you know, having big deer on the wall and, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it, a different story of a, another podcast I was listening to, but, you know, for, for a guy that has, you know, killed all these Pope and Young bucks or, you know, you know, the kill a booner or whatever that whole process um what do you how do you quote unquote justify killing that deer in michigan or whatever yep so it it was you know like i said 
because I maybe target like a 130 or 140 men when I'm out of state. Um, I know my properties in Michigan are not comparable to that. So just because it's not within that range that I hunt out of state doesn't mean when I'm in my hunting area in Michigan, I understand, you know, what is a quality deer for that area. So I know it was a mature deer for that area and, um, compared to most everything else, I mean, antler wise, he was, you know, above most others too. So even if I knew it wasn't going to score a whole lot, you know, part of his main beam was broke off. But at that point, I, I think it was you know, maybe 12 years since I shot a buck in Michigan. I said, it's a mature one. He's heavy horn. I, I'm happy with that. And so I, I was fine with shooting that one. Well, I mean, like I said, we've very much deviated from, you know, cause in the, the hunting podcasting whole thing, right. is like, I, I've had posed to me many times, like, you know, there's guys that own deer farms. Like you should talk to them. There's guys that, you know, have these big areas in Iowa and all this stuff. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of guys that can really relate to a lot of that stuff. So if you want to spend five or 10 grand to go shoot a deer with an ear tag, um, and put it on your wall because you have low self-esteem or or whatever it is, (laughs) you have to, you know, you have to show it off. Um, you know, but the truth is that people like to see big antlers and they like to see Mm -hmm. big bucks and, you know, whether you're the guy that is, uh, you know, out there every night with your video camera and your binoculars glass in these fields, if you're shining, if you're doing all of this stuff or you're the November 15th gun hunter who goes up to the same spot every time, because Mm -hmm. that's where he's always hunted. You have that same hope that, you know, the deer that you killed, either the deer that you killed in Michigan or the deer that you killed in Missouri walks by you. And it's that anticipation that keeps us going out mm-hmm. there to, to see, like, what's next, what's next, what's next. So that deviation from, a you know, to listen to a guy that says, well, I'll shoot this or this. We've only talked to a handful of guys that will put that on there. And then only even fewer that have done it on private ground and do it consistently. However from the every man perspective, which I think is like what we encompass here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I met you, I think Frank's like, well, I met this guy up at the, this boat trip that we go on. You yeah. got to see this deer that he killed. Or we were in Ohio and he's like, look at this. I'm like, when did, who shot the, who's that? He's like, that's Mike from the boat trip. I'm like, you're kidding me. Oh my God. You know, and I think that may have been the same year that I killed that 150. So I'm like on cloud nine. And then it's like, well, psh- <laughs> <laughs> hold my beer and watch this, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think approaching it kind of like the way that you've done it and almost like stepwise just decided that, you know, you see, you had a goal, you saw guys that were killing bigger deer, your friends were doing it. You had the opportunity to go down there. Um, and so that's the way that you've chosen to focus your efforts you know, and with, with time, money, everything management, I mean, 
it seems to be a pretty efficient way to <laughs> yeah to kill deer. Yeah, I mean, and if it's a money thing, like I said, if that's where you you know just start knocking on doors and you know you bite the bullet and you're gonna get a lot of nose, but you know you will eventually find something to start with. Well, but the, but the other side of that is is like you know I find it every day in like what I decide to do or how I decide to approach things because once you realize that your time costs money, um, that is a big factor. So you could, I mean, like I said, you just don't luck into a 200 inch deer. It's not, you know, you have to have been in the right spot at the right time for the right wind, the right, mm-hmm. you know, right time. Everything came together. Yeah. But you don't, you don't just do that. So you could probably go down there somewhere and find a, similar age class deer to the ones that you've been killing on public land, mm-hmm. but it would take a lot more time. And that time is time away from family. That time is time spent, not working time away from, you know, all these other things. So that, that's what I was talking about as far as like a, a monetary thing. It's like that time costs money. So there's a certain way to, to balance that and go about it, you know? So, but like I said, from the every man, it's not like you said, well, I got this guy down there. He manages his property for me. <laughs> you know, he, he told me this deer on Wednesdays is down here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like I say, that's, that's one of the things. So one of the things, you know, John usually asks this question and we kind of go, go, go through it. Something that we've been kind of, forgetting about i think you know the more beers that we have and the more time goes on we kind of we kind of forget about it from time to time but so what um was the bow setup um that you in the arrow and, and broadhead setup um that you shot that deer with and then what are you shooting now yeah so that was a uh, matthew's adrenaline um and, and at that time it was probably a six-year-old bow you know it was nothing brand new Shooting Rage three blade, the original, not not the chisel tip. Um, so the cut on contact tip on it. Um, I I love the the entry hole and exit hole on those um, broadheads. So um, I've been really happy with that. And actually, I was still shooting that adrenaline last year. Same setup. This year, I just switched to a triac. So, but I'll still be shooting the the Rage three three blades. And what are you shooting for arrows and all that? Um, I was shooting, uh, like a Carbon Express, um, I think they were Mayhems, and then, um, now I'm shooting, um, the, was it Bloodsports? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I'm trying a different arrow, a little bit smaller diameter, a little bit heavier, but. It's, it's always interesting to me, because. What I'm finding is the people who, like, nerd out in one area or the other, I think that there's, like, a bit of differentiation. There's some people that focus a lot more on time in the woods and less on arrows and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And there's there's other guys that have a new bow every year, every year. And that's not to say that that doesn't that there's a direct correlation there, but it seems like the guys that are just like murderers with deer are like 
yeah, it's probably this, and it's right. you know, if, or I've had this bowl for a while, and you know, I mean, Frank's a, a perfect example of that because he's like, I don't know what grain arrow I shoot. I know that the broadheads fly good. I've tried them all. I've right. done all this stuff, <laughs> but it, it's it, it's he says I don't shoot spots. I shoot deer. He's <laughs> like if I you know right. And uh, so this year, you know, Frank, with you going to Missouri and then Nebraska, like I have the utmost like confidence and like hope everything. Like if I don't shoot a deer this year um, and you shoot a a buck of a lifetime, like that is what I want, like out of this season because of everything that you've put in and, and everything like that. And I I think maybe there's a chance that you're your own worst enemy because you love to shoot deer. So that first one that comes by. It better be a big one. Yeah, it better be a, better be a big one. That's all I got. I'll be waiting for the pitcher. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah like, like I say, Mike, I just really appreciate, you know, you coming over here and kind of going through that. Like I said, there's not too many guys that I would say, frankly, that I would like to talk to or that I'm comfortable sitting down with and, and, and think that people can relate to. Yep. And, um, you know, I do appreciate it. And it's, you know, it's been an experience here. Just, just looking at these, the sheds that you've got here from the, the farmer from down the road who says, I think those are probably a match set of sheds. The farmer just yeah. says, yeah, I think I got some from that deer. And geez, yeah, these... pretty, pretty fortunate that the guy <laughs> shows up when I have the deer hanging and, uh, brings those over. And, <laughs> um, he, he, he knew what they were and didn't want to part with them right away, but he's like, you know, here's my number. Probably eventually I won't have no need for them. And, you know, the next fall I went down there and he's like, hey, come on over. I got something for you. He's like, he just been sitting in my garage collecting dust. So <laughs> here you go. So, yeah, it's pretty fortunate to have a, a matching set of sheds on that deer. That's awesome. We'll have to go down there and uh, you'll, you'll show us around to the local um... – Mm-hmm. breakfast joints so we can talk to some farmers yep. oh yeah <laughs> and and things but yep. uh yeah man i think that's all we got for today like i said i, I really appreciate you coming over and, and sitting down with us and yeah hopefully hey. it gives some insight to some other guys going out of state and, um, might not be the direct ingredients but somewhere along those lines make something happen and maybe open their eyes to a different uh, avenue to find something well and i think one of the things that we we tend to forget here is you know we we bang the public land drum and we're I I since starting this podcast I've never been so invigorated about hunting public land because now it's become a challenge to me mm-hmm. to see what I can find out there and how I can go and do it and how wet I can get my boots and how <laughs> much water and bullshit I can find myself yeah. into um, and that to me has been exciting but I think too much we kind of talk about that and you know, it may be like some other guys are saying, well, I want to do this or how do you do that? And, um, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's really good. Cause like I said, it's a very every man approach to it instead of just saying, well, I'm going to throw my pocketbook at it or I'm going to, right. you know, figure out where, you know, I'm going to have somebody find a deer for me and then right. I'm going to go and, and, go and, down kill, and it. kill it. And, uh, and so I, th- I think it was, it was very eye-opening, you know, for me and just the way that it's uh, it's all kind of played out. So, yep. you know, 
Frank, you got anything else? Parting shots? No, no, I'm I'm pretty good. You know? <laughs> I'm just getting ready. I got the itch to hunt, man. It's coming right up. Yeah, it is. 11 days, dude. Oh, yep. my gosh. So I told Frank, I said, the first first day of the season, because he's there on the fence about filming and all this stuff, and I said, I'll just leave my bow at home. I'll just go out there, and I'll get in a tree with you, and I'll film you. And, you know, if you want to shoot some deer, let's shoot some deer, because that's, I mean, yep. that's. Get That's what it's all on, about. On film. So, all right. Well, thanks for stopping over. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, we'll get some uh, pictures of that deer and we'll put them up and Sounds good. we'll uh, give some coordinates to your uh, your old stomping grounds. Yeah, I got the direct <laughs> ones I can give you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks.